My biggest fear. My biggest fear. My biggest fear. My biggest fear of parenting my daughter in a changing world is we're dealing with heightened issues regarding social media and its impact, negative impact on girls' mental health. And this is compounded by the fact that we've had this ongoing assault with body image issues for documented for over 40 years. As an 11 year old, almost 12 year old, all of her, um, her, her technology uses, what she does on her cell phone, um, the, the sites that she visits on our shared computer for the, at the home. Um, we monitor what types of games she has access to and which she doesn't has, have access to. And because of all the bombardment of all these negative images, especially for a little black girl in America, we need to keep her safe for as long as possible until she's able to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is good for her and what is not good for her. I am raising children who are probably much more tech savvy than I am and who knows what it is that they are discovering on the internet and discovering on the World Wide Web that I have no idea about. It seems like every time we check our news feed, there's another alarmist article on some new peril that parents must manage as they help their daughters steer the course through childhood to adolescence. Headlines scream about catastrophic climate change, toxic chemical waste management, rampant social media addiction, and dangerous chemicals in vaccines, and of course, the unfathomable reality of gun violence in school. Such news blasts are continuous, often contradictory, and seem to be designed to keep us in a constant state of red alert as parents. Some days these dire reports may cause us to feel guilty that we're not doing enough to protect our children from the hidden dangers of a world we no longer recognize. An added frustration is that's not always easy to verify the accuracy of the latest ominous prediction that sends us into an anxious frenzy. For sure, today's parents are not parenting in a world that we recognize. What is a conscientious parent to do? I'm Trudy Hall, your host for Uneducating Girls, a podcast produced by the International Coalition of Girls Schools for parents of all girls everywhere. And while these parenting challenges may indeed be true, there's no need for parents to be crippled by the onslaught. Being aware and proactive is a better approach in this new terrain. My guest today is going to help us get firmly grounded as parents in these anxiety-producing times. Liz Joyce, a clinical social worker, is the school counselor at Neshoba Brooks School in Concord, Massachusetts in the U.S. A parent herself, she brings bundles of common sense and calm to the project of parenting a daughter through tumultuous waters. As important, she's going to give us permission to acknowledge that the project of parenting is different these days. As a parent shared with me recently, quote, you are living the reality you have never seen before, even as you are parenting your child through it, end quote. If you like what you hear in this episode, we encourage you to rate and review it or simply forward it along so that others can benefit. Liz, it's really good to be with you today, as I know our listeners are going to find your insights filled with common sense. Oh, well, thank you. It's so good to be here today. Well, for starters, what ages are the girls you work with? And more specifically, since our focus today is on proactive parenting, can you offer up a few themes that you know you want to cover? So I'm the school counselor at Neshoba Brook School, where we have grades preschool through grade eight. Our students 
in preschool through grade three are all genders. And we have students who identify as girls in grades four through eight. And as we dive into this parenting in this new world, as you and I have talked about, is there a a very basic piece of advice that grounds you? So some themes I hear coming up, mostly, you know, with the parents I work with, but also with friends and colleagues, a lot of times is around like, is what's going on with my kid typical? Should I be worried? And this is especially heightened in the aftermath of COVID and and all that we have been dealing with and, and are currently dealing with. Um, and also, when I reflect on parenting right now, we are parenting children in a world we did not grow up in. So we're learning how to guide and support them in this new landscape, while also acclimating as adults to this new landscape, whether it's technology or, or something else. Challenging, challenging times for sure. Um, and I know that you're going to be able to uh, walk us through this. And so as we dive in, is there a basic piece of advice that grounds you? Yeah, there's a lot. And honestly, it, it depends on the day and it depends on the role I'm playing. So when I'm thinking about my own kiddo, I, I try to remind myself to just trust my gut um, and and start from there. Thinking about friends and colleagues and parents I work with, I often find myself repeating something that Danielle, my head of school, instills in all of us at Neshoba, which is don't worry alone. Love that. Don't worry alone. That makes good sense. That makes a lot of good sense, right? And it's something we should all teach our children as well, right? Um, sometimes um, when parents think about parenting an adolescent, just the mention of the middle school years makes them wince. Um, Perhaps they remember their own wild years. So where do you want to start our conversation? What does it look like to be proactive and where does it matter most? Yeah, it's so important. And honestly, a lot of times that I'm talking with parents of adolescents or pre-adolescents, I sort of say like, okay, stick with me, but we're going to think about what it was like for you when you were in middle school. Like, how did it feel? Everything felt uncomfortable and very intense. Like whatever was going on felt like it was the biggest deal of all time. Um, And I think especially right now, especially on the heels of the newly released CDC data, there's such a heavy emphasis on teens and teen mental health. And I don't want to downplay the importance of making sure our adolescents are healthy and getting their needs met. And when it comes to parenting, I actually think that the building blocks start much earlier. Um, You know, thinking about even when we're raising toddlers how we interact with our youngest children sets us on a road. And that's not a road that can't be altered or changed. Um, But if we think about, you know, parenting a three-year-old, for instance, I like to pick on three-year-olds because they are very cute and they are very challenging. And, um, you know, they have really big emotions and they don't yet have the language to talk about their feelings. And so we see that in behavior, you know, behavior is communication. And especially with our youngest kids who don't have the language or don't have the skills to, you know, sit down and articulate what's going on. Often we'll see it in a behavioral change. Um, And so when I think about, you know, the building blocks of parenting and, you know, with an eye on parenting adolescents, but where do those where does that healthy foundation begin? It's really like all the way through. 
in many ways, it shouldn't be daunting when you say that. It should be encouraging because as a parent, it gives me an opportunity to continue to build on some patterns I've set as opposed to having to gear up at a certain time in life because there's a barrage coming at me. Right. So having said that, obviously, you know, you're you're in a school setting. Um, do you have strategies that are particularly helpful for parenting with your daughter's school, particularly, as you mentioned, these proactive strategies? Yeah, well, it's a really good and timely question because I've actually been partnering with my daughter's school a lot in the past week. Um, so I've really tried to take my own advice and I've tried to not worry alone. I've checked my assumptions and my worries with friends or colleagues before reaching out to her teacher and, and the other folks at school. I've really tried to trust my gut and remember that behavior is communication. So for example, I happen to have a kid who loves going to school. She cries when we have a snow day and all of a sudden she was saying she didn't want to go to school. And so I was like, what's going on here? So when I reached out to the school, you know, I think most importantly, I've tried to approach the conversations from an inquiry-based stance. So I've laid out, you know, what I'm hoping to gain from the conversations, the questions I have, and that no matter what, I am always seeking partnership with the school and reinforcing that my partner and I, we are always open to feedback. We want to know what our child is doing to complicate matters or what we're doing or what we're not doing at home that could be influencing what's going on at school. Makes a lot of sense. Well, we also, and you and I have talked about this in previous conversations, you know, we hear the theme of modeling a lot. And when I do these podcasts over time, that seems to always come up in some way. Um, how does modeling show up in this conversation for you? How do you think about modeling? It's so important. And it's also something that we don't want to stress ourselves out over because oftentimes as parents, we can, you know, lay awake at night feeling awful about something we did or said, even if it wasn't directly in front of our child or children that they may have heard or they may have picked up on and then they may have been impacted by. So I think it's, you know, something to not beat ourselves up about. And at the same time, when we can consciously model, whether it's, you know, behavior regulation, like I, I think about times where I've said to my child, I'm going to go take a timeout because I am feeling upset and I want to come back and really be able to talk with you about this. So that when I put her in a space of like, you need to go take some time to yourself, it's normalized. It's not like you're the child. And so you have to go do this. I also think about, you know, modeling self-care. And I want to use that term very carefully because I know with my friends and colleagues in education, it, it's it's sort of, you know, in, in the wake of the pandemic, this type of thing where if they hear self-care one more time, that's going to be the end of it. And like, don't tell me to breathe and don't tell me to go take care of myself. Like it's it's hard, right? And so I think about ways in which I can model natural self-care, both for my kid, but also for the kids at school. And so oftentimes when I'm sitting with something and really trying to process something or digest something or just make sense of something, I'll take a lap or two around campus. And we are lucky enough to have like so many windows and people will see me all the time like, oh, Miss Joyce, she's working something out. And sometimes I'll take kids with me and we'll go on walk and talks. Um, so I think that's another way to model. And, and it is important because kids are sponges and they're picking up a lot, whether it's intentional from us or not. 
they are definitely sponges for sure. As you know, I live with a three-year-old and so that little sponge is challenging at times. And I, I'm, I'm pleased that you noted that parents tend to sometimes beat themselves up about this sort of thing. And, and you know, one of my colleagues said recently, you can't bubble wrap your child. And so as you think about, you know, bubble wrapping one's child, what's the downside of bubble wrapping a child? I've heard you talk a little bit sometimes about, you know, preparing kids, moving kids through things. What's, what's the opposite of bubble wrapping a child? It's skill building. And it's really, this is challenging. A parent here actually years ago once said, and it has stuck with me because it just, it resonated so strongly that I think she said, I seek to prepare my child for the path, not the path for my child. And that's not black or white because there are times, for example, my kiddo's six and, you know, if there's something going on at school, I have to lean in and I have to speak up for her because she's six and she just can't make sense of certain things. But I think the downside to, you know, bubble wrapping our children or preparing the path for our children is that we're not always going to be there literally or figuratively. And so if we're not preparing them with the skills and the tools that they need to handle the expected or the unexpected, then we're not actually doing our jobs. Good point. Really good point. So if you know you've got a tough challenge uh, to talk with your child about, are there specific approaches or um, ways in which a parent might open that door to a challenging conversation? Totally. Don't do it in the moment. (laughs) That is like my best piece of advice, I think, is that we all as human beings have receptive and reactive states. And when our kid or maybe our partner or co-parent or or ourselves, we're in a reactive state, good work is not going to happen. And so you really want to take the moments when they're in a receptive state or a calm state to outline expectations, to do sort of behavior modifications, to, you know, reflect on something that may not have gone well. I hear from parents and friends and colleagues, sometimes they're hesitant to, you know, reopen a can of worms when they're outside of the moment with their child or things are finally calm again. And they're worried that if they bring up the issue again, that it's just going to be hard and and we don't like to do hard things. And actually that is the perfect time to bring it up. So we, we all have a nervous system and we can have agitation and, and have agitated nervous systems, but we also have a parasympathetic nervous system. That's our rest and digest. And so when we're in a receptive state, that's where we are. And we're just more open to hearing, you know, different perspectives, points of view and, and working on things. Having said that, um, you know, we're talking about parents as if it's parents plural. Um, lots of parents have to do this project on their own. Uh, do you have specific advice for parents who are single parents and running this railroad on their own? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. When I think about, you know, parenting with a partner, that that is hard enough you know, just parenting, you know, inclusive of a partner is hard. And when you're walking this road solely, and I just want to say, like, I don't know that personally, but I've worked with tons of parents who either don't have a partner for whatever reason, or their co-parent, that's an added layer of challenge. And I think it goes back to sort of where we started actually, which is don't worry or wonder alone, identify your support system, identify your trusted resources, um, 
and, and use them when things get tough. And maybe that means like having your friends sleep over at a relative's house just to get some rest, or maybe it means talking to a parent consultant or coach just to get some objective guidance. Having said that there are lots of ways in which parents can open the door to challenging topics, um, are there topics to avoid or topics to double down on? So I'm a big believer in the spirit of transparency and that there's room at the table to talk about just about anything, though I think that needs to happen in a healthy and boundaried way. And at the end of the day, as the parent or the caregivers, you're still in charge. And so as the people in charge, it's so important to decide and identify what are the non-negotiables for your family. It might be body autonomy that, you know, consent is very important. It also might be we don't hit, we don't kick, or we don't name call in our family. So we hear all the time that we should let our daughters take risks. And speaking of, you know, setting some non-negotiables up, um, but it seems like that's now more challenging than ever to let our daughters take risks. Do you have any guidance for parents who want their daughters to fly solo on some important endeavor? Yeah, I think it does go back to non-negotiables and identifying what is a healthy risk. And that's the language I like to use a lot because a healthy risk is something that pushes you out of your comfort zone into your challenge zone, but doesn't push you into the panic zone. And that's where we grow. We grow in the challenge zone. Um, I think, you know, again, in this landscape of COVID and within that context, when we think about those early dark days, everything was so situated and anchored in the family. And, and as parents and caregivers, we controlled everything because we had to, we didn't know what was going on and, and everything was a little scary. And now, although COVID is still very much with us, we're getting back to typical functioning for the most of us, like at schools and at work and, and different things. And so I think when we think about taking healthy risks, maybe as parents, part of that is relinquishing that locus of control a little bit and giving it back to the school, giving it back to the institutions where you're sending your child there because you trust them. I like that. You've mentioned um, uh, you know, sort of relinquishing um, some of that control, and I know that it can be challenging, but somehow just saying it out loud gives me permission to let go just a little bit, right? We also talk a lot hear about controlling the controllables and identifying like what is outside of my control. I can't, I can't control what they're going to say or what they're going to do. And when it comes down to it, all I can control is what I say and what I do. And then I also have this amazing addition that a student said to me um, and the intent with which we're doing or saying things. There are so many predators out there on the internet and social media and being able to set parameters and create a safe space for her to be able to take risks and try things without, um, or at the same time as having fear that there's people out there. Uh, the pace at which information just enters the children's lives and they really don't have time to sort of think about things on their own and grapple with ideas. I think I have a lot more worries than fears and, um, as a mom of two young girls um, and a person who works in a school and a therapist, I hear um, a lot about um, the unpredictability of our changing world 
and um, all the concerns and worries of my kids. I'm always wary of going down the rabbit hole of uh, social media, especially in this day and age. And you and I could do an entire season on social media, I guess. Are there any things that you think um, a parent should know as they begin to monitor this beast um, in their preteen's life? And again, you know, we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole, but does something come to mind, a big theme? Yeah, it is totally a beast, isn't it? I think remembering that you are in control. You are the ones in charge. You are the ones, you know, paying for the device and paying for the mobile service and setting, again, going back to non-negotiables and setting those expectations very early on. When you do decide to give your child a cell phone or a tablet or messaging or Snapchat or whatever it may be, making sure that they understand how you will be monitoring it, how you will be engaging with it, and how you very well may take it away at certain points because that's what's in their best interest. Laying that groundwork and then sticking to it can be some of the hardest things. If you, I mean, can you just t- say it a little bit, just a little bit about how we've all seen parents who say, you know, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, this will happen. And then of course the child doesn't do X, Y, and Z. Um, and there you are as a parent, having said that there's going to be a consequence and uh, you haven't followed through on that consequence. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I would just advise, like, be prepared to deliver on the consequence. Don't ever put something out there that you can't deliver on, like saying something like, you're never going to watch TV again. Well, that's like, that's actually not true. <laughs> they they will watch TV again. So I think that's a place to sort of, if you need to take a pause before coming back to your child, that's another way we were talking about modeling of modeling to say, you know, I really want to think about this. Um, before we talk about a consequence, I'm going to think about it and then, and we'll get back to it. Also, the secondary gain there is that your child is learning to tolerate discomfort. And in that waiting time, and it's not intentional, we're not like trying to punish them by sitting with the uncomfortable feelings, but that's a skill that they have to build. We all have to build it. Good point. Good point. So I I know that there's so much more that we can learn from you, but as we wrap our conversation with nuggets of wisdom, Is there something that can't be said enough or something that did not get specifically mentioned in the conversation up to this point? Or even you've been very good about dropping quotes and phrases. Is there a quote or phrase that you would drop with us? Well, when I was thinking about it and, and, you know, thinking about, you know, the honor of being invited on this podcast and, and all of that, I was thinking a lot about, there's a lot of noise in the ether right now around children and adolescents' mental health and the crisis, the global crisis around children and adolescents' mental health. This is obviously all true and valid. And as a parent, you have your child or your children. We need to stay aware and we also need to stay grounded in who we know our children and or our child to be. Because we know them better than most, right? We know them better than anyone, right? Totally. Um, Parents are the experts on their children. That's a great note to sign off on. Your parents are the experts in their (laughs) children. But I also, I also heard you say, you know, don't worry or wonder alone, which I think uh, deserves repeating again and again and again. Uh, Trust your gut. Behavior is communication. 
um, control those things you can control and then let go of those things that you cannot control, right? As you, as we move through this space, um, Liz, this has been really wonderful as you promised, you know, we've got some great nuggets of common sense that can go back and ground us in our times when we are most anxious. So thanks very much for being a guest today. And I know our parents are going to love the wisdom you shared. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was awesome. You've been listening to on educating girls a podcast produced by the International Coalition of Girls Schools to address real issues that impact the lives of girls we know. As always, I welcome your thoughts. So please send comments and questions to podcast at girlschools.org and join us next time as we share insights and resources. Thanks for listening. It's important to the girls in your lives that you do.